Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Tune in as we share stories of triumph, resiliency, and healing. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamily Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hola, welcome back, guys. It's been a while. I hope everyone had a great summer. Things have just been chaotic. So let me just give you an update what's been going on. I took a little bit of a recording break um, just to plan on my business. So Beauteous Me is also launching to Beauteous Mind for therapy practice. Super exciting. Um, and Beauteous Me is also launching to coaching. So so many things on board, guys. Check out my Instagram. Check out my website. Have some events coming up. Um, this is uh, Latino Heritage Month. So there is a book collaboration coming up, guys. So check it out as well. It's called Latina Women Who Boss Up. But what better segue to talk about Hispanic Heritage Month, Latino Heritage Month. You know, we all having this, you know, internal battle. And then to have another fellow Latina social worker who is going to just talk to us about mental health in the Latino community and how important that is. And she also has a book coming up, too. So, you know, we are doing our thing, guys. We are doing our thing. So welcome, Madeline. Hello, Jamili. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So let me just give people a little uh, bio so I can tell them who Madeline Maldonado is. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so Madeline Maldonado has over 20 years of experience in program administration, clinical supervision, professional trainings, and psychotherapy. She specializes in autism evaluations for children and adolescents. Madeline is the president and owner of Madeline Maldonado LCSW Consulting PC. Okay. And she's also <laughs> an adjunct professor and field advisor at Fordham University's MSW program. How exciting. Yes. Madeline has dedicated her career to seeking to improve systems and organizations that work with and service people. As a social work professor and consultant, she trains students and professionals on how to work within the current mental health system with less stress and burnout. Madeline believes in teaching and empowering her clients to be their own therapists and advocates. She confronts problems with teamwork and solution-focused strategies. Kindness and humor are her trademark. Madeline, welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here. I have been so excited about yes. having having this conversation with you. Like I know, and we know. had to reschedule. I had some family things going on. Yes. So thank you for just being so accommodating. And then, you know, I pushed back recording to now September because there was things, you know, we're all human, right? We got to handle. <laughs> And, and other things take priority. And exactly. that includes self-care, which is, yeah. you know, one of the things we want to talk about today, just, you know, being able to know when to say no. Yes. And being able to know when you have to really take care of yourself first. Yeah. It's survival. So tell us your it's story. honestly survival. It is. It is survival. So I always start off by asking my guests, tell me about your story. Okay. Which part of your story would you like? Well, listen, the part of the story <laughs> is what got you into really advocating for number one, Latino social workers, because that's okay. just how I connected with you where you were like, listen, yes. this, you, you got to join this. Yes. So haven't done it, but don't get on me. Later. It's okay. Anyways. <laughs> it's never mandatory. We don't force I know, people. I know. So. I know. It's just been a lot of things going on, but yes. what got you into this, into this realm? 
Well, I, interestingly enough, I've always known that I had a, like a, a heart for helping people since I was really, really young. Mm-hmm. I mean, young, like eight years old. And it used to come out in like, you know, saying things that I'm sure my parents probably disregarded. Like she's esa niña. You know, I remember like I would see, you know, the the front page of the Daily News and the, the New York Post, which my father would bring home every single day. And it was, you know, the 80s, uh, you know, the crack epidemic, the homeless epidemic, the this, the that, the people being shot. At that point in time, my family was also um, living in in upper Manhattan, which was called then Washington Heights. It, now it is a whole bunch of other things. Hamilton Heights, Dykeman Heights. It is not, it is not, we are struggling with the gentrification. Okay. Okay. We, Washington Heightsters, will continue to leave it as a Washington Heights. Okay. Because for me, I will always identify as Washington Heights. That's where I grew up. No, it's Washington Heights. Washington Washington. Heights. Okay. So, growing up in Washington Heights, you know, I just, I mean, at seven, eight years old, I remember telling my dad, like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to help people. And he was like, I see me, huh? CCC, of course, of course you are. Yeah. But, um, you know, he was doing this while he was reading his newspaper, of course. Yeah. So, but I like, I don't know. I, I think it must have been honestly a calling, you know, mm. like, because I did other things, you know, in, in college, I even studied civil engineering for a while. Yeah. All this chat, 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 chat did not fit in with civil engineers, especially when the career was still very, very male oriented. Yeah. So. You know, I, I've just, when I was 16, I used to um, work at my father's um, store and people used to tell me the crazy, you know, things that you'd never hear people telling a cashier about at a supermarket, at you a know, supermarket or the bodega. Uh, it was a supermarket then, but we okay. started with a bodega in the okay. 80s and 90s. I am yes, a bodeguero's yes, yes. daughter. Yes, so, love it. Yeah, so in the 90s, it became, you know, we had an actual real supermarket mm-hmm. and people would stand online because I used to, I, back then I was doing engagement skills that I didn't even know about. That's what it was till I got to social school. But I would really ask people, how you doing? I would notice what they were buying. Mm-hmm. I would say, I haven't seen you in like two weeks. Are you okay? Wow. And people responded to this 16 year old kid asking them these questions and they would literally pay for their things, stand to the side while I was still ringing up other people and catch me up to speed. It was like therapy on the go. Like me, right. I just, I just had my surgery. My husband's okay. He's not sick anymore. You mm-hmm. haven't seen us buying beer because we don't drink beer anymore. Wink, wink. And my father used to be like, Madeline, you got to hurry up. Like, <laughs> this, you stop you know, on the production flow. <laughs> pretty much. But I just had a gift for people. I liked being with people. I liked talking to people. I liked hearing their stories. And so this, and and so of course, you know, I I went the traditional route of going to, you know, graduate school and getting the MSW and being trained clinically. But that, that thing inside, um, that I, I think it's something spiritual, like I said, you know, some type of calling, I think that's always been there. Mm -hmm. And it just took me a while to really realize like, Hey, social workers, where where are you going to be? Cause of course my family wanted me to be a doctor or, you know, I'm Dominican and it's like yep. Doctora Maradona. Yes. That just sounds so delicious yeah. you know, in it, their minds. But, but if you think about it, Madeline, it is the um and I'm not are you first generation here? Were you uh, here? Yes, first generation yeah. born here. So we both share the first generation. Our parents immigrated from DR, 
over here. And, you know, in, in the book project that I'm a part of, we kind of talk about that. Well, I share about that, that being first generation has these expectations. They want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever they couldn't achieve in DR, which rightfully I get it. I completely get it. But it adds this different pressure to us mm -hmm. um, because this expectation is like up here, up Huge. here. Yeah. Huge. So I'm, I, I'm yeah. glad you shared that because I'm like, ah, yes, I know your story is my story when it comes There's to that. Jamili, there's only three professions that Dominican parents will pay for your school for. <laughs> Doctor, lawyer, and, you know, ingeniero. Ingeniero, That's the yeah. only three respective That's professions. That so when I said I wanted to be a social worker, my mother, God bless her, she was like, ¿Tú quieres trabajar para welfare? I know! She was like, so pero no. Yes, that was her point of reference. You know, <laughs> tú vas a estar con esa gente cogiendo food stamps. Ay, Dios mío, mija. And it, was, it just stressed her out. Oh my stressed, God. And my dad was like, I'm not paying for college for you to do that. Yes. And I was like, no, I'm not working That's for welfare. That's not what it is. Yes. I'm going to be a therapist. And they were like, ¿qué? Un loquero. Yes. Un loquero. <laughs> or an unpaid psychiatrist. Yes. You know, because so that a psychiatrist is the one because that's the doctor. Right. That's the one that specializes in mental health. So God only knows in 20 plus years, they've changed. They're very supportive now. But yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying, because um, but I think even us growing up, that's all you knew. What what was the, the social worker was yeah. either BCW back in BC, our days, BCW, BCW back in our yep. days that they done snatched the kids or you went to apply for welfare. And then it yeah. wasn't until I got to social work school that I got a little snooty. I was like, they're human services. We're <laughs> social workers. Like I have my degree in social. I can yes. blame it. <laughs> yes. I, my first few years, it's been like, just say therapista. Right. You know, I'm a therapist. I am a mental yes. health expert. Exactly. I wasn't when I started, but in my mind, <laughs> I was. That That's what it was, right? That's what it was, yeah. So, Madeline, I'm so grateful that you are in the realm um, of being a mental health advocate. You know, that that's like, it's important to all of us, right? Especially in the field. So not only do you advocate for your clients, but you also started advocating for Latino social workers. And I want you to share with us a little bit more about that. What pushed you to that and saying like, this is, I'm doing it for the community and I'm wanting to support my community, but I, now I have to support my professionals as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this, this has, has been something that I've really been passionate about. Um, as an individual social worker for many, many years, you know, I used to, um, direct mental health clinics mm -hmm. in the Bronx and in Queens. And when I would hire, I really would think about, you know, just first and foremost, the, where we were in terms of diversity with our staff, mm -hmm. but also I wanted our staff to reflect the client population that we were servicing. And, you know, most of my clients, I would say 70%, mm -hmm. 80% were black indigenous people of color. So either you were, you know, a person of color that spoke Spanish or not, mm -hmm. but you were a person mm -hmm. of color. Yeah. And I wanted our staff to reflect that so that clients could feel comfortable coming. So I really made it a point to start looking for those social workers, mm -hmm. recruiting them, hiring them, training them, mm -hmm. you know, because they were always available and around. It's just nobody was actively looking for them. Yeah. And the best way to find social workers of color was to ask the ones that I had, 
Yeah. So I started asking, you know, hey, do you know someone? Do you have a, a friend that graduated with you at your college? Call that person for me. Ask them if they want to interview with me. And I just made it a thing where people knew that I was very passionate about this. And then I decided to take it more on the macro level, you know, mm-hmm. take it more into leadership when I got involved with the National Association of Social Workers, New York City chapter. Mm-hmm. And I was their chair of their committee on leadership identification. Mm-hmm. So again, when I walked into this space, it was a committee that was, you know, 90% Caucasian social workers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is New York City. If we only have Caucasian social workers in our New York City chapter that's identifying leaders, what are we looking for in Utah, Utah, Wisconsin, Minnesota? Yeah. Because, you know, NASW is nationwide. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I can't control what Utah, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Texas is doing, but New York is going to be diverse. Yeah. And, you know, I made it a point of saying, you know, we are the, the gatekeepers for all of the leadership positions in the New York City chapter mm-hmm. of the NASW. So let's look for, you know, people of every race, ethnicity, um, you know, let's welcome people who really do identify as LGBTQ. Let's let's look for those Latino, le- Latino, Latina, Latinx leaders. Yeah. Because again, they're here, but no one has been reaching out to them and saying, we want you to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that surprised me somewhat was how the the social workers that I was speaking to felt about the NASWs, the NASW in general. Yeah. They felt like that was a white quote, white organization. That's not really for me. Yeah. You know, I pay, I paid my dues while I was in grad school, but after yeah. that, I, I don't mess with them. And I was like, why? That's our organization. It's the one for social workers. We are social workers, but it took a lot of realizing that, no, we're doing a bad job of welcoming diverse, diverse social workers yeah. to the NASW. So that became my thing. And I was very proud that we recruited Black, Latino, LGBTQ, male social workers um, mm-hmm. to to take leadership positions within the NASW, which, by the way, is all volunteer. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, this was a, a, a an effort of love that all these social workers were willing to to volunteer their time to help an organization to help all Grassroots. of us. Grassroots, right yes. back down to yes. what social work one hundred and one is, and absolutely, how absolutely. And I can't even stress the importance of networking, which is what the NASW, you know, New York City chapter and every chapter is 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 able to offer social workers. You know, the more we network and and find each other and come together to work together, the more we can actually do to help our communities. Yeah. You know, we I I was speaking to you about this the other day. We're not in competition. Mm-hmm. There is so much work to be done that there could be. Yeah. 50 Dominicana, you know, LCSWs, and we'll all be busy, exactly. you know, all the podcast and people would still listen, exactly. you know, there's no need for competition because there's there so is. much work that we it's, need each other. And we all have a different voice and a whole different yes. perspective. Yes. And everyone shares a different background or different experience. You know, you and I are both first generation um, Dominican Americans. But you shared the experience of the bodegueros' daughter. I shared yes. the experience of the factory workers. Mm-hmm. So it is a very different um, experience because in our eyes, right, as the factory worker, the bodeguero made it. 
Yes. That's making it for yes. That's yes. making it. The bodeguero made it. And so yeah. my parents that started off in factories and then, you know, eventually my dad went and he, he found a job at a hotel and was there for many years. So he retired. Oh, he made it. He so made he it. He then made it, right? He was working, you know, in, in Manhattan. He, yeah, he was you working know, in Manhattan. Con gente de dinero. Exactly. People with some money. Okay. Exactly. And my mom was um was a home attendant, you know? And, you know, it's it's the... it's. It's the rite of passage, but we all share a different story, a collective experience, but it's how we all come together. And I'm so grateful that you're putting that together. And I'm grateful that I met you in that forum where you were just like, girl, you got you, you to gotta do this because we, we have to speak out for our community. We have to advocate um, and, not, and not be silenced. And I thank you for bringing that piece up because I think often we are silenced and we are under looked, if you will. Uh-huh. And overlooked, underlooked. Over, overlooked, yep. underlooked. Yeah, overlooked, underlooked in our ability to really practice psychotherapy. Because if yes. we look at psychotherapy yes. practices, yes. we have to think about the theories, the modules, the evidence-based models. And I still look at it now, and it's a conversation that I have with other professionals, is that a lot of evidence-based models are not geared towards the BIPOC community. They're really not. And and as a leader in my position um, in doing clinical work and clinical supervision, I often find myself having to go to Social Work 101 when we talk about cultural backgrounds, experiences, religion, and expectations, because it is easy for someone to walk into a psych ER and and or in an ER and be crying hysterical and this and that without understanding that hysteria is often common in the Latina community. And it's actually encouraged. If you don't get hysterical, it for is, example, when someone encouraged. dies, oh, forget it. You, you, you didn't yes. love this person. You didn't yes. love them. Yes. Yes. And yes. so finding those things out, religious practices. Oh, you know, this family sent their child back to Haiti because they felt that these behaviors were. Um, from voodoo, et cetera, et cetera. You have to be mindful of that and not saying, hey, did the parent abandon them? Or they're hallucinating because they said that they saw spirits. Uh-huh. This is people's spirituality and upbringing. Yes. And so yes. it is important for more and more of us in the BIPOC community to be there to service uh-huh. our community because often we are misdiagnosed. Yes. Often we there's that projection of medication and yes. Medicaid manage the symptom and go on without really treating the yes. underlying factors. Yes. Yes. You're talking about something that I have been preaching and training about for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my gifts <laughs> that agencies um, picked up on is that I could take that clinical theory, which I know well. Hello, I'm yeah. teaching it. Ta-da. Yeah. But take that clinical theory and make it work for people in our community and teach social workers like, listen, uh, the most, okay. The most basic one we all know in the code of ethics, right. And they teach us this in social work school. You cannot accept a gift from clients. Of course. Okay. What person working with black Latino BIPOC clients is not offered a, a gift on Christmas and Tres Reyes. Not even and that. The, Home visits. Yes. They're going to yes. offer you water. They're going to yeah. offer you their cooking dinner. They're going to offer oatmeal. you oatmeal. 
a morning oatmeal, that Dominican oatmeal. And if you say no, they really do look at you like you think they did something to the food. Exactly. So it is now an offense that you're going to sit in their house. They're going to have their little oatmeal and coffee and yeah. you're going to sit there with your hands folded. Right. So you have to have the oatmeal and it's yeah. not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, just like I remember clients saying it's Christmas. We're doing this for every person who's helped us this year. Yeah. And I would have to say $10 cap. If it's more than $10, I got to give it back. Right. Because this is what made them feel good. Yeah. Or I used to have a client that would bring me a banana and a Snapple mm-hmm. every session. Mind you, this was a person who was formerly homeless. And he came here from Cuba in a Jola, you know, a, a, country, yeah. a yeah. refugee. A banana and a Snapple every Thursday at 4.30. At one point, I had to ask him, like, why do you keep bringing me the banana and the Snapple? And he was like, oh, because I know you eat lunch at 12. You must be starving by the time you see me. Wow. How do you say, no, thank you? Or Right. You know, that's part of our community to also show people love, affection, respect by caring for them. That's a cultural component. Yes. So, you know, if we follow the, the, the way we were trained in social work school, you know, we're, we're missing the Listen, boat of what will, that means for people. We will hospitalize more people. Yes. We will diagnose more people. We will heavily medicate more people and we will significantly yes. re-traumatize more people. Yes. That, that whole thing. I always, you know, tell social workers and I, I practice this as well. You have to first figure out that this is not trauma induced because there is such a high level of trauma in our communities. And I really started paying attention to this actually in the last five years when I was um, moonlighting two days a week in a clinic in the South Bronx with the so-called, you know, high risk population. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about people that were coming out of prison, people that were living in homeless shelters or street homeless, people that have been diagnosed with HIV, AIDS, or um, the other one, hepatitis, and also members of the LGBTQ community, including we had a, a transgender population. Mm-hmm. And what I learned working with clients is trauma, 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 trauma. Yeah. When I would ask them their story, 50% of them were like, no, I never was in mental health or had any problems before this happened to me, yeah. before I was raped, before I was put in jail in solitary right. for five years, before I saw my blah, blah, blah family mm-hmm. member murdered. And you keep it going from the, before my children were removed. Before my husband beat me, you know, uh, before I came to this country and was out in a desert with a coyote and I almost died. Okay. When I would hear these stories and like hold back tears. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes I couldn't hold them back. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's trauma. So before I'm looking for the bipolar, before I'm looking for the schizoaffective disorder, the schizophrenia, before I'm looking for personality disorders, you know, borderline or antisocial, because our people really get stuck with that when they've committed a crime. So, you know, if you're a sex worker, it can't be a a crime of necessity to support your family. It's a personality personality disorder. Or, you know, you're a drug dealer. Again, mm-hmm. it can't be that this really is your way of making money. And for a lot of a lot of people in the community, they try to do something with that money, you know, make life better for their family back in their country, country of origin or set something up so they could get out of that life. Yeah. You know, there weren't people that were walking around as serial killers. Right. You know, they didn't want to murder anybody. 
unfortunately, this is a side thing, a side effect of being in certain practices and businesses. In, in speaking about that, Madeline, I look, you know, my parents still live in the Heights. Um, and when I go back over there, my heart breaks because the community Absolutely. is Absolutely. decompensating. That's the best yes. way I can say it. The community yeah. is hurting. The yeah. community is decompensating. The amount of drug use yeah. that is going on and overdoses. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I had a brother who passed away of an overdose. And oh that was hard. That was so hard. Oh, my family. gosh. Now, I look at the block that I grew up in. And between, I grew up on 161st Street, between 160th, 161st, 162nd, 163rd. Every time I look at my childhood friends and posting on social media, there's someone else who passed away of a drug overdose. It's heart-wrenching. It is heartbreaking. Even this summer, one of my, well, he was in my sweet 16. In my sweet 16, passed away of a drug overdose. And I, I went back to the community and I'm like, our community is suffering. It is suffering because we don't have the services to really understand us. And the services yes. that we want to put out there, they're cut. Yeah. They're easily yes. cut. The budget is yes. cut. We don't have enough. Yes. The hospital, you go to you go to Presbyterian and 168, you you stand in there all night. You know, yep. you're not gonna be seen for certain things because it is influx, it's yeah. overwhelmed from the experiences, the adverse childhood experiences that people are having that are creating these physical symptoms, these physical illnesses. But then on top of that, the community is just bleeding from substance use. It is hard for me every time I go on the weekends to visit and I'm, it hurts. It hurts, especially because of my personal experience, but it hurts to see them. Yes. Yes. And and you're talking about Again, why? Yeah, it's trauma. You yeah. know, working with people who who, yes. who you know are in recovery or actively using, you know, the ninety nine point nine nine nine. I will stand on this trauma, 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 yeah. trauma. Yeah, and that's what started the the, the use, mm-hmm. and that's what sustains the use. Yes, and 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 then there's also the depression and the mm-hmm. isolation because yes, our communities. Sometimes our communities are looked at as, you know, well, there's just so many people living in a small space like Washington Heights. So they, you know, you, you have people around you got constantly. Like family members yeah. in a two bedroom apartment. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, <laughs> absolutely. What that means is you're overcrowded. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you actually feel close to or supported by those eight family members or the people on the block. No. You know, sometimes it's the opposite. People feel that they have to maintain an image of everything is okay because that's also part of our culture as as Latinos, Latinas, you know, that we feel like we have to fake it till we make it, yeah. act like everything is okay, and we are literally dying inside. Yeah. And the only way to make it through the next day is to smoke some weed, yeah. smoke, for those that don't know, marijuana, <laughs> take pills or alcohol, alcohol or lately the influx of cocaine. Yes. Cocaine, you know, because it is an upper and it does lift your mood. So, you know, rather than saying that people, you know, are are just wanting to promote drugs in their community, it's what's in the community that drugs are necessary as the coping mechanism yes. to help them survive. Yes. Yes. That uh, that is such an important point, Madeline, and I'm I'm grateful that um, you brought that up. So I know that um, with some of the work that you do, and then again, this being 
um, Hispanic Heritage Month, I would love for us to discuss the importance of self-care in our community and our mental health well-being and, and things that, you know, we can do to support our community. Absolutely. Um, the, the first thing that I feel very strongly about is that we have to be willing to let go of stigmatizing each other for looking mm-hmm. for help. You know, I, I really try to change the language that we have for psychotherapists, for mental health. You know, we, we still are, are working with, you know, people who call it, you know, being crazy. Loco. Palo loco. Eso palo loco. I'm not going to go see a therapist because that's for the crazy. That's for the So once you put it in that context, not only will you not go, but you're also making sure everybody around you with an earshot is not going to go either. So, you know, us working on normalizing, normalizing it, you know, yes, you should go to the therapist, not the loquero. Mm-hmm. You need counseling. Mm-hmm. There's people who can help you. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing for us to stop criticizing each other or, or making it, you know, a humiliating thing to see a therapist because the they, truth they is, go right they go yes. to the salon and they tell you their whole business the, the yep. ladies that do your hair and blow dry your hair on weekend they know if your husband cheated they, on you they are therapists what's going without on. a degree they are yes. therapists without a degree yeah so they, they yes. might they gonna misdiagnose you and go tell you the wrong thing yes they're gonna go they're tell you to see you in jail because you did something <laughs> to your husband turn up his clothes so yeah. do not listen <laughs> Yes, do not take advice from a non-licensed professional. Right. You go get your car red or your yeah. tasa red oh or my whatever, God. Yes. and you all telling them your whole life. So the lady's going to tell you the bruja. The bruja. going to tell you, do this brujeria. And, do, and yes. then you, you, you entering a whole different spiritual yes. realm. So there's yes. so many different ways that people are seeking therapy. Yes. You know, to the pastor, religion, whatever it yes. is, people are seeking it. But the yeah. fact that you go to a therapist, tu talos. Yeah. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we, we have to commit all of us, everybody listening on, on this podcast, yeah. commit to not using that word anymore. Yeah. You know, I would Thank say my, my dog is local, you know, cause he's mm-hmm. walking around doing something, you know, that I find silly, but I, I don't use local anymore for human beings Yeah, because you know, the, the truth is that I don't think I ever met somebody who truly was crazy. Yeah. I've met people who are in pain and yes. behaved in certain ways, yes. you know, but when you talk to them, you know, they're not crazy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have to say that one of the things I believe we don't do enough is actually look at people's eyes mm-hmm. when we ask them, are you okay? When we talk to them, because the eyes give away, no matter how pretty you look, how much hair you got in your head and makeup yep. and nails or how tight your hair is done and your fade and your clothes. You look at somebody's eyes when you really are asking them, how are you? Are you all right? Mm-hmm. The eyes give it away. Yeah. My own eyes give it away. And I have a good game face. Yeah. But, you know, you ask me that question and I'm not okay. And my eyes will water. It's an involuntary yeah. thing. Yeah. So we have to really look for that mm-hmm. and, and, and give people permission to really say they're not okay. Yes. You know, like, let's not be like, I don't. What's, what's wrong with you? You're working. Everything is fine. You know, girl, you look good. You lost weight. Wh- what's wrong with you? Why are you depressed? You need a man. Yeah. You yeah. need a man. You know, you need to get, your, get yourself a husband or a boyfriend. And, <laughs> and that'll, you know, again, these therapeutic the techniques that yeah. are not from therapists. Yes. You know, <laughs> change your look. Yeah. You know, or go to the Santero, the Botanica. You know, you need to... Que te lean las cartas to see yep. what's going on in your horoscope. Yep. 
<laughs> let's be mindful of the advice that we give people yeah. when they really are sharing that they're suffering. And, and, you know, for all my people that are looking for a therapist, I can't stress enough the importance of seeking therapists that reflect you and understand you. Mm. That doesn't mean that you can only work with, you know, a black indigenous person of color as a therapist, because I don't want to, that's not true. But if you're working with somebody who is not a BIPOC person, Mm -hmm. you want to have a conversation to see if they honestly have an awareness of the culture, Mm -hmm. if they have been exposed to working with other people of the, you know, of our culture, of your culture, because every Latino is not the same, you know? So, you know, the person you're working with might be well-versed in, you know, working with, I don't know, Colombians, Mexicans, they've never worked with somebody who's Dominican, or they've never worked with somebody who had a certain immigration experience like yourself. So you have to talk to to the person and try to see if this person can honestly understand you. And if they can't, it is okay to move on and interview someone else. Yes. Do not stick with, this is like, I tell people therapy is like dating. Yeah, I say the the, same thing too. Okay, on the first date. I'm like, it's it's your Tinder, but you know, a safe Tinder. Safe Tinder, right? (laughs) But on the first date, you should be able to ask questions of your therapist, not inappropriate questions. Like don't ask me if I'm married, how many kids I got. Right, right. But you should be able to ask me how I see mental illness. Yes. You know, ask me, what, what do I think about people who have been through bad experiences? Mm-hmm. Do I think that they're crazy? Ask me questions like that, you know, yeah. provoke the person a little bit, yeah. because if you don't like their answers or it doesn't resonate in your mm-hmm. spirit, mm-hmm. say, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you yeah. and move on to someone else. I had a you consultation. Will, yeah. Yes. I had a consultation with someone and I was just like, this is my therapeutic style. Do you have any questions? I said, and I always end with this. No, no one's going to be your perfect style. If Mm -hmm. I am not your style, I do not take it to offense. If you move on to someone else, I want to make sure that you get the help that you need. There's a flavor for everyone. There's enough of us to go around to support. And if my therapeutic style, my style, my, my treatment modality does not resonate with you. It's okay. It's okay. And and I, I want people just like you said, to have that permission to extend it. Um, and knowing that they can switch now, here's where people might feel they can't switch. When it's court mandated, yes. mandated service where they feel, which is why the system creates this, um, yes. we us as therapists can really mess up someone, if you will. Um, yes. Because if, if they're coming to you as mandated, then you are using your forceful tactics. Like, well, if you don't come to therapy, then this and this. How am I supposed to open up to you if I know that if I say something to you, it's it, it might get reported. I might, you know, not feel comfortable telling you that yesterday my child drove me crazy and I wanted to take the chancla, but I didn't take the chancla. But if I tell you I wanted to take the chancla, then you're going to have a problem with me taking the chancla. Yeah. So it, it's these things that we we continue to do it to our black and brown communities because they're the most that are mandated for services. Your kids get yes. taken away, court, um, whatever, welfare, you know, for, yes. for public assistance or, or X, Y, Z. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's important for therapists in general out there, black, brown, white, yes. whatever, yes. to go back to the humanistic perspective yes. of social work and not the mandated piece. Because if yes. you remove that mandate, you can continue to see them as a human and understand. Yes. Yes. And the thing is, therapy only works if someone is connected, if, if the two people have a connection, a therapeutic Absolutely. connection. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, how many degrees you have on your wall. 
And I have plenty of degrees and certifications and right. a beautiful resume, right. but I may not be the right fit for someone. A right. new social worker that has three months of experience out of grad school mm-hmm. may be able to connect with this person more than I can. Exactly. So even with mandated clients, you still have rights. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this. So anybody who, you know, spread the word, you yeah. still have rights yeah. as a client, you have rights and you yeah. can still say, I will continue to see you until I am transferred to someone that is a better fit. I'm requesting a transfer to, and this is what I would like. Yes. You know, my wish list. Again, it's like dating. You know, I want someone who speaks Spanish. Can we start with that? Someone who actually speaks Spanish, you know, for a lot of clients. Yeah. Who understands culture. Someone who is, you know, I've had clients say, I need somebody a little bit more experienced. I need somebody, or I don't want to work with a man, or I don't want to work with a woman. A client has the right to make those requests. And so, yes, you're mandated. You have to show up because Mm -hmm. attendance is what they're tracking. But what you can request and say, I will continue to see you until I am assigned to a therapist who I feel more connected with. And then I'm going to continue with that person. You know, we have to be okay with advocating for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like I said, it won't work unless there's a connection. And and when there is a connection, it's beautiful because now you have a safe space to Mm -hmm. share what you're really going through. And you don't have to make it till you make it. And nobody's going to judge you for having moments where you're irrational mm-hmm. <laughs> and you want to take the chancla. Or, you know, you say comments, you know, clients say comments to me. Ay, me quería tirar por la ventana. I wanted to throw myself out the window. Okay. Now I'm trained. It was like, is that a suicidal statement? Exactly. Right. Or are we being dramatic? Are we being dramatic? Yep. But how you even respond to that and ask a client, yes. you know, and my thing is I would give them a facial expression. And they would be like, I mean, how come on? I'm playing. You know how I talk. No, I don't really want to kill myself, but let me tell you how I really felt. And then there's some clients who the face, they'll be like, yeah, I've been really thinking about it. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, okay, let's really talk about this. So, so that rapport is super important, Mm -hmm. you know, in the same way, if you, if a therapist has a rapport with you, they're not legally, we are mandated to report certain things. Right. But they're not going to be so quick to look for what you're doing wrong. They're going to try to figure out if this is something that can be addressed mm-hmm. without requiring a call to a legal agency. Right. You know, when I have a client say, yeah, you know, I, I smacked my daughter. Let's talk about that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in this country, you know, maybe where we come from, that's allowed. But here you can't do that. That's considered that, 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 that. So you do some kind of education. Yeah. And then it's like, why do you feel you have to smack your daughter? Mm Because that's a very powerful question. Yeah. You know, is this an abusive person with an anger problem who wants to be hitting? Or Or does she feel? Yeah. Yeah. Or is the child really getting to a point where this parent feels backed against the wall and is desperate? Mm -hmm. You know, I've had parents who are like, I'm losing my child to the street. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to take, you know, maybe if I act crazy and scare them, mm-hmm. my child will stop hanging out, stop trying to drink, stop being with that older boyfriend or girlfriend. Yes. You know, so again, it's listening to the client yes. and not assuming that they're doing things because they are crazy, unstable, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. We, something else that I tell my clients in terms of self care, and I really believe in this as professionals, we have to, Remember to have fun. Mm-hmm. Our lives are so busy and, and, you know, stressful and long, long work days, being stuck in the house. And the pandemic didn't help this. 
And on Mm -hmm. top of that, having so many responsibilities and not enough money. And I speak, no matter what your income level is, I don't, I've never met anybody who was like, yeah, I have plenty of money. All of us are working, whether we're working at a quote unquote higher level job making, you know, 80 or $90,000 a year, or whether we're working at a job making $20 an hour. No one has enough money living in New York City, at least. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being able to realize what that lifestyle does to someone, you know, chronic stress, chronic tiredness, chronic sleep deprivation, it can mimic depression. Mm -hmm. It can mimic anxiety. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with you. You need Mm -hmm. sleep. You need rest. You need to take care of yourself. You need to eat better. So, so encouraging each other to get back to that place of having fun and taking care of our basic needs: rest, water, sleep, yeah, fun, fun. Yeah. You know, when we get home, instead of immediately going to chores, do something that makes you feel good. Whether that be turning yeah. on music, whether it be going for a walk, or doing some more exercise. Seeing a friend, mm-hmm. you know, going to church, connecting to other people, you know, being part of a social club. And I know, again, with COVID, we have to be careful. Right. But we, you know, we can do it. It's still warm outside in New York. Mm-hmm. We could socialize, you know, outside. You know, yesterday I was with uh, my friend and my sister, and we just were in the house. We ordered food and we had a sing off. We literally downloaded all the videos we could find on YouTube from like 90s music that we loved. And we sang along. Yeah. And probably sounded like banshees to anybody (laughs) who walked by my apartment door. But it was fun. It was just fun. And it's connecting to humans and and having that time. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody went home happy. We didn't Mm -hmm. spend any real money. Mm -hmm. And it was just a moment. So, you know, maybe, you know, someone is like, well, I have kids. I can't do that. Do it with your kids. Yeah. You know, let them teach you a TikTok dance. If you don't mm-hmm. even know what TikTok is, let them teach you what TikTok is. You know, you have to look for ways to, to enjoy what you have yeah. because life, life is hard. You know, this life is hard and nobody is going to make it out of this life without feeling some type of mental health thing as they mm-hmm. try to get through this life. So, Madeline, you've given us some amazing, you know, tools on um, shifting to, to self care. But let's let's quickly move on to your book. Like, I want people ah! to know about the book before we wrap up. I want them mm. to know that this is coming out. I'm excited for you. Um, thank you, thank you, tell, thank tell, you. Tell us a little bit about it. So, okay, the book is called Latinx in Social Work: mm-hmm. Stories That Heal, Inspire, and Connect Communities. That's the title. And, and this book is the brainchild of my, my fabulous friend and Latinx social worker, Erica Sandoval. She's actually the um, New York City NASW chapter president. Mm-hmm. And so she came up with this amazing idea because she is a Latina social worker of, you know, let's, she would always ask me my story, you know, where did I come from, uh, you know, as a Latina and how did I get started? And I guess she was doing this with all of her colleagues and friends and eventually she was like, I think we need to share our stories because they're all very different. But one theme is, is predominant, which is ins- the inspiration and how we've overcome so many challenges mm-hmm. as women, as, as women of color, as Latinas. Some of us, you know, English is not our first language. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we come from places of, of economic you know, problems, so on and so forth. So we came together and there's 22 
22 authors in this book. Each of us wrote a chapter sharing, sharing our story and what we can offer in terms of, you know, overcoming and just how we became the, the women that we are and men, we have men in the book too, that, that we are today. And it's our love letter to our, our community, you know, our community of social workers. Let's start with that. And mm-hmm. then our Latinx community, you know, just to show what we be, what we are trying to do for our own community and how we're trying to give back. Love it. So I know when it's going to be launched because, of course, I got the newsletter email. So <laughs> tell people when is this book going to be launched and where can people find you? Oh, my God. October 5th, 2021. We are launching. We're doing a virtual launch, you know, because of the pandemic still. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can find me by following me on my social media. I'm on LinkedIn, M Maldonado dash LC SWR, or the easiest one on Instagram, Latina CSW. Yes. If you follow me, you'll see a link to register for the book launch in my bio. And you can participate. You can come together with us and hear some very empowering, inspiring stories. And the book will be available on Amazon on October 5th. And eventually we're going to be available at any old bookseller, Barnes and Nobles, Tarjay, so on and so forth. I said a Tarjay. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's. I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm really so excited. Yes. Madeline, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your inspiration. Thank you for doing what you do for the Latino community um, and serving them and addressing mental health and helping people understand more how, you know, treating the BIPOC community is a very different cluster from what we're taught in school. But even thank you for sharing your, your, the work that you do and pushing us um, to be out there and serve more. So I'm so genuinely humble that you here and that we finally got to do this episode and it, it came in the best time. It came in the best perfect, time. So perfect. Thank you thank so you, much, Madeline. And I appreciate you. And I mean, you, you inspire me, you know, I know everyone that's listening to this podcast also thinks you're amazing. Thank you know, you. just you, you've inspired me as well. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to watch what you're doing as well. And Again, it's it, your web page. Your web, your web page, by the way, inspired my web page. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be a carbon copy, but I was like, oh, she brought the style to the web page. <laughs> I can bring the style to my web page. So, yes, yes. Thank love you it. so much, Madeline. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope this episode fed your soul. Please be sure to download new episodes. You can also head on over to rate, review, and subscribe. For more updates, find us at www.iambeauteousme.com or on Instagram at iambeauteousme. Don't forget to use the hashtag beauteousmepodcast for your feedback.